Welcome to the Unformed Handball Hour, where we are at the semi-final stage of the Olympic Handball Tournament. Or, when you're listening to this, it will probably be the final stage of the men's tournament, and maybe even the final stage of the women's tournament. So what we're going to do today, to account for this barrage of handball, which we can't keep up with as a podcast, what we're going to do is review the quarterfinals on the men's and women's side, and then give you our analysis of every variation of the final that is possible. On the men's side, (laughs) we will give you analysis of one game that will happen and three games that will not, but why not? What do you think, Chris? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds very tiring when you put it like that, but I promise we'll we'll do them all quickly. So hopefully it'll be entertaining. And and you, you say... Yeah, one game that'll happen and three that won't, but we'll also be then previewing the bronze medal games. That's true. And the bronze medal games are very important in the Olympics because it is a medal at the end of the day. It's not the also run. It is a, a medal that goes in the medal table of the Olympics with the country. Yeah. And, and it's, it's, you know, you really, it really does like, it's a stark contrast in what goes into winning. A team sport and particularly handball medal when there's games every two days for the whole championship in comparison to like taekwondo where you have the entire thing in one day an entire weight class in one day or you know the the 100 meters which is like three rounds of 9.8 to 11 seconds depending on men and women in two days like this is a big effort for just one medal and so yeah we uh yeah we have to give some credit to the bronze medal games whoever ends up there we'll talk about it we won't know whether it's the final or the bronze medal game uh, but we'll find out so let's start with the review first of all of the the quarterfinals and we'll start with the men's one Uh, which game do you want to talk about first oh i have a game to talk about and that game is sweden versus spain and do you know why I want to talk about this game the most, Chris? Is it because the team that you tipped as gold medal winners at the very beginning had the semi-final in their grasp and then somehow lost the four-goal lead in the final 14 minutes to the wily old foxes of Spain? Yeah, that that is one of the reasons. <laughs> That's a reason that kind of hits my pride, uh, my journalistic integrity (laughs) but no i have a reason that is closer okay and that reason is because i was feeling very confident i was confident he was going to go through i was so confident that i put on a quadruple accumulator bet on the quarterfinals of the men's competition and it started off really well france they beat the spread of 9.5 against bahrain i was kind of like yeah you know, France are just, Bahrain are happy to be there. France are going to run over them. That that was easy. I was confident. Actually, when I made the bet, I thought Christian O'Sullivan was out. So Denmark to beat the spread of 
against uh, Norway. They did it, even with Christian Sullivan there, maybe not at full capacity. Then I was also very confident in Egypt, because as I predicted before the tournament, Germany are boring, they're going out in the quarterfinal. And that's exactly what happened. Perfect, perfect prediction. What was the spread for that? Um, the spread, uh, it was very equal. So I think it was plus minus 0.5. So I actually had Egypt to win in that game. And lastly, or actually it was the second game. So my, my dreams were dashed quite early, but I had Sweden to win outright against Spain. So didn't even have a spread on it but again the spread was zero uh, 0. 0.5 so nothing would have changed there and it looked really really good for 53 minutes it looked fantastic and then Alex Ushabayev did his thing you know Alex Ushabayev did his thing but Sweden let him do his thing and Sweden still had the game in their own hands so where did it go wrong for them because I think it went wrong before Alex Lushabayev in the last seven minutes um it really felt again we're, we're going to this experience thing and what happened with Sweden is that they had a scoring efficiency of 81 percent for the first 50 minutes of the game they were having an absolute stormer mm-hmm. but they didn't run away from Spain despite having the best game of the tournament so far for them. And then for the last 10 minutes, they, they, they had an efficiency of 50%, including two penalty misses, um, a miss from quite an easy chance relatively for Hampus Vanna from the wing. They, they got overawed and at no stage did Spain kind of lose it throughout the game even though they were the worst team for 50 minutes at no stage did Spain say we're just going to let Sweden roll over us and even though it was only five minutes where Sweden let Spain roll over him it was the crucial five minutes yeah it's a it's a pity for the Swedish team that we're looking so so good but you just have to give so much credit to Spain and continue to pull it out of the bag with these bunch of old men and then people like Alex Zuzhabayev and Alex Gomez who between them scored 13 goals but Entrerios with 5 goals from 8 shots Danny Sarmiento 4 from 4 which is just brilliant and even Antonio Garcia with a couple of goals in there as well and Miguel Sanchez Miguelon where did he come from? He came from... uh... On a flight from Poland, because he really signed for yeah. Elsa. <laughs> Last minute, a giant two-meter-tall left winger. Um, I'm not sure if it is... I think he is an actual left winger. But he came in to fill that Viran Maros gap and did it really well. Defensive specialist had one shot on the wing, which he did convert. Looked quite awkward doing it. He really looked like a line player on the wing when he did score it. This is going to be the next big project for Talent Dushabayev, I guess, turning an awkward player into a world-class player. And of course, he's from Spain. All of this, of course, the Kielce and their club president, Berta Servas, 
having an absolute laugh, who's Spain's biggest fan, it seems, at the moment, trolling our good friend Rasmus Boysen on Twitter as well. I have to reiterate that Alex Dushabayev is the most clutch player in Hamble. He was having an average game. He's been having an average tournament. He just hasn't turned it on. But for those last seven minutes, he took the reins and quite literally took the reins and took... He used every possession in the last seven minutes. So... Out of that, he took three shots or two goals, got a penalty and got an assist to uh, Figueres on the line. No other player uh, on Spain actually used the possession in the last seven minutes. And that comes down to experience because Spain have been there in these close games and they know that when it's close, just give the ball to Alex and he'll do something. And that's worked for them continuously. And they really just gave him the ball. So absolutely incredible performance from Alex Dushbev. Just like in the final of the EHF Euro in 2020, does nothing for the entire game, scores a winning goal. Doesn't matter. Just clear mind at all times. Is there any other game you want to go into detail about in the quarterfinals? Because the other three, I mean, as you said, France absolutely tore Bahrain apart. Um and then there were two, there was a five and a six goal victory. Denmark, Norway, I found was, was quite interesting, mostly because Denmark just looked so comfortable throughout it all. Even though it was always like a three or four goal game, it never looked like they were in serious trouble. And I was kind of shouting at the TV. It was like, why isn't either team actually doing anything? Why aren't Denmark like pushing this more? And why aren't Norway actually able to close the gap? Because, uh, just seemed like both teams were kind of happy with the status quo. It's like Denmark, yeah, we'll hold the lead. Norway's like, okay, we'll keep them within four goals until the final five, six minutes and then push back. Neither of which happened. Um, well, I think one of the reasons is Sagasin's infamous quarterfinal red card, which is yeah. becoming a part of his, uh, repertoire these days. So in the Euros, he did <laughs> the same thing where he got, Sent off in a crunch quarterfinal. The, uh, the world championship. Oh, world championship. In the world championship, he yeah. got sent off in the quarterfinal against, against Spain. Again, partially, co- I wouldn't say he cost his team uh, a place in the next round because he is the team. No. But it was actually. And, and he did it for Kiel in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. He did it for Kiel in the quarterfinal of the Champions League. Yeah. So that's. That's three times in eight months he's done it. Now. That's incredible. That is absolutely incredible. And the <laughs> the funny thing is, his second two minutes, uh, it was quite early in the game, about 15 minutes in. Mm. The second two minutes that kind of changed the game because uh, Norway had to completely change their game plan and Sagasen couldn't play in defense as much and couldn't uh, activate that second wave fast break as good. His second two minutes was a stupid one. It was so stupid. Mm-hmm. And it was, um, Gitzel went in one on one with Sagason and Sagason tackled him. And Gitzel kind of threw his neck back a little bit and Sagason complained to the ref and to Gitzel just saying, stop diving. The very next mm. attack, Gitzel gets the ball, goes one on one. Sagason dives. <laughs> pretending to get an offensive foul and gets a two minutes for it. In the second, <laughs> that was the second two minutes. In uh, 15 minutes, uh, which completely threw off the game. And then it was inevitable 
that he was going to get that uh, red card. And it was <laughs> really funny that in the timeout, Nikolai Jakobsen was telling Gissel, every time you get the ball and Sagasen's in front of you, go one-on-one against them, get that third uh, two minutes, and that's what happened. Yeah, you mentioned the Christian O'Sullivan thing. He had dislocated his thumb in the final group game but managed to play, played 53 minutes as well. Yeah, not to be, it, I think it was in the end of the day, the the lack of depth in that uh, backcourt for Norway, which really hurt them. And also Nicholas Landin was just, uh, was actually good in the, in the second half as well uh, against the shooting they had. Yeah, in the yeah. second half. Uh, how about Germany, Egypt? Go on, that's the, that's the big story. Egypt, the Pharaohs through to the semi-finals for the first time. German media seem kind of shocked by it. I don't know if they just didn't want to believe that Germany were not that good or were, had this kind of European snobbery. But Egypt were really in command for the whole thing. I had, a, I didn't think it was going to go any other way besides some kind of miracle for Germany. And that's, uh, yeah, turned out Egypt are good enough to be in the semi-finals. The hype is real. Hype is absolutely real. They... They're a fantastic team. They, they arguably have the best backcourt in the tournament. Of oh, no, okay. They, they have a very good backcourt. <laughs> player they by have player, a very good backcourt. I would say that they have a player by player equal backcourt to the likes of France and Denmark, who you know who are full of stars, who are just incredible. But the likes of Yahya Omar, Eldara, Ahmed Hesham has broken out in this tournament. He's been let's say, I would say kind of on the level of Gissel um, in this young star role where he's, I think he's had a shooting efficiency of in the mid-70s, which is incredible for a backcourt player. And then you have the old boys, Ali Zayn and uh, El Ahmar to, you know, to always steady the ship. It's it's a really, really good team. They have a fantastic defence and they got an incredible performance out of their goalkeeper, Handawi. Yeah, Karim Handawi with over 40%. Uh, that, that a lot, to, I think, to do with the defense as well, but he did make some brilliant, just like individual saves. And yeah, I, li- I really like that backcourt. Just every single player offers something very different. You know, Ali Zayn coming in as like the fourth man in that backcourt, just so dynamic and a great assist giver as well. Like there was one in particular, the, the pass out to our friend who was on the podcast in January, Mohamed Sanad. I just... You know, every every position looks solid. Even out in the left wing where that was like their dodgiest position in January. That, I mean, there they scored every shot that went out there. Just battling in every position. And uh, I think their value for their semi-final spot. And a club just has to snap up Eldera. He's ready to fit into any top Champions League team and contribute straight away. Someone sign him. Get this guy a contract. I just want to see more of him. <laughs> that's the, that's why I want someone to sign. It's wonderful to see, and I'm very happy like to have a team like this, and uh, particularly after the pain and agony of that quarterfinal loss to Denmark at the beginning of the year, which was perhaps the best game of the year. They'll have a chance potentially for a revenge in the final. Shall we predict <laughs> some finals now, beginning with Egypt versus Denmark? <laughs> Are we going Egypt-Denmark first? Let's go Egypt-Denmark first. That was an incredible performance by Egypt in that semi-final against no. France. <laughs> 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 no, we're not going to do that. 
But that, that is the, the Denmark Egypt final is the one that I think everyone wants to see a rematch of that infamous, famous quarterfinal in the world championships this year. They did play in the group stage and Denmark won comfortably, but I wouldn't put too much value on that match. Mm. I think Egypt have gotten a lot better as the tournament progressed and Denmark have stayed at their extremely high level throughout. After seeing that game in, in January, it exposed a lot of the, the weaknesses in both teams, which I liked about it as well. Like neither team allowed the other to play at the best that I could play at the level we saw them play in that quarterfinal. So it, it seems to me that the key for this is which team will be able to like, uh, basically force the issue. And I worry a little bit that Denmark might have learned more from that game in January than Egypt will have. And I think Denmark learned a lot already in, as the rest of that championship in January went on, as we saw in the final. And we saw the likes of Jakob Holm, for example, being used to good effect. So for me, when I'm looking at the matchups and, and what will potentially turn the game, people like Matthias Gitzel and Jakob Holm will be very, very tricky for this Egyptian defense to deal with. I agree. And Denmark have just been... Uh, they've been amazing. They've been even better in, than in the World Championships, in my mind. And it is their unique style of play where they tend to do what you as a viewer and definitely the defense does not expect. Mm. It is these reverse passes, move one way and reverse. Um, as Larson has been doing that incredibly well. Hansen is the king of that skip pass to the wing or whatever. And Hansen and Gissel have this incredible chemistry where it's really, uh, they're a duo. They, they move the defense and actually having Gissel in a team has unleashed something from Hansen that we haven't seen for a while. Mm-hmm. And that's him breaking through. He, his nine meter shooting is not on the same level that it was in the past. I don't think he, I don't know, he just doesn't, he doesn't score as many outlandish kind of that mid-arm wrist shots as he did in the past. But what he does do now is definitely unleash the team and just provide amazing assists, but he's starting to break through as well because they make space. Um, and that's been really great to see, actually. So Denmark are amazing, but saying that, Denmark are also lacking a shooter. As I said, Hansen's shooting isn't to the same level as before, and then on the backcourt, they they really focus on breaking through on the one-on-one style. And Egypt's defense is very big. They are tall. And if they... It's very difficult. No, no team has been able to do it so far. But if they can hold back a little bit and protect that six meters and basically tell Denmark to shoot over them, then maybe they have a chance. And I think they will have a focus on something like that. And I have confidence in Perondo having a very good game plan. Yeah, that that feels like it's going to have to be the the case. Plus another amazing game from Hendawi. 
you know, he's going to have to be inspired for that to, to work out. At the other end, then, we have Egypt's attack. We were just saying about how great they are and how varied they are. And it seems like as long as the wings are, are taking their chances whenever they come and, and someone like Mohamed Sanadi, you trust, will do it uh, regardless of the situation. I, I think Denmark will force Egypt to play a bit more out to the wings. And then the big question is whether these two playmakers and Hesham in particular, who you said was so, has been so efficient. I think he, he scored a perfect three out of three against Germany, just uh, took his chances really well. Whether he can also deal with a uh, defense that, that Denmark play and when they want to, uh, can also squeeze a backcourt very well when you have the likes of uh, Magnus Landin out on the left wing playing as the number two in defense and just the, the big, strong young men and not so young men like Henrik Mulgaard in the center of that defense. They'll also need a top performance from Yehi Omar. He will need to have an outstanding game, N- nothing less. Which he did do in the quarterfinal of that world championship. He, he was the yeah, outstanding player. So. That. Yeah. What about the other, <laughs> maybe the second likely final or maybe the most likely final? France, France versus, versus Denmark. Denmark. France versus Denmark. Well, I mean, this, I, I think in a game like that, you just have to say Denmark because of France's goalkeeping duo. I think it'll come down to... But Gerard's had an unbelievable turn. He has, he has, he has, he has. It's 50% on seven metres. Gerard is having an absolute stormer of a tournament. <laughs> but it's always one game. <laughs> on a final weekend. We've talked about this over and over again. And I, I think in a game like that, it, like that, it's will be so free-flowing for both sides that it will not it'll come down to more like a goalkeeper battle than than Denmark versus Egypt and in that case I really like uh, Landine and Muller and I think Muller is just waiting for a game maybe a final where he will just uh, stand up and show like I've actually been in this form for two seasons. Why has nobody noticed me? <laughs> He's just waiting for that to happen and a major tournament. But uh, hold on, Chris. I have a question yeah. for you. Go on. Are France actually any good? <laughs> That's the, that was kind of the point I was getting to. I don't know. Are they any good? <laughs> they've... <laughs> Like they've, they, they've done really well. Yeah, I mean they. they yeah, good? they they finished top of the softer group. I think it's fair to say losing to Norway yeah. then, and then they've had the softest quarter final. That's why I don't know if they're actually going to be in this final. But we're talking about it as if they are in the final, and uh, because of that, I really like the form that Kenton Mahé is coming into, and maybe he's another player. It's like, why has nobody been paying attention to me for the last two years? Look how good I am. Uh, for them, it is when we talk about France and when we talk about Spain, it's it's like the last hurrah for Olympics wise for a bunch of the guys, except maybe Nikola Karabatic. I have this vision of him playing in Paris twenty twenty four as a final goodbye uh, at the age of 40. But yeah, I think if they do get to the final, we'll say that France are not are not good enough to beat Denmark, but France are here. And in March of the Olympic qualifiers and for much of that world championship in January, they did everything they needed to be successful, except in the semifinal when they, the goalkeepers completely fell apart. That's why I think it's going to be a goalkeeper battle in the end, because I think France's players and the the setup they have, the quality is clearly there. 
They've got all the left-handers in the world, but it's going to be a goalkeeper battle that decides it. Yeah, for, for me, I, I don't know what's changed between the France that were uh, terrible three years ago, two years ago. Then they improved a little bit, but I, I don't see any significant uh, differences in how they play. They, you know, they have Remelis kind of grown into that uh, playmaker role, which may contribute to part of it. Mm. And they do have this, the two of the best defensive players in the world. So two of my top three defensive players in Ludwig Fabregas and Luka Karabatic, who are always there to control that defense and make sure there's no period where it felt falls apart. But I just, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't feel it, but I can also see France being a team that actually beats Denmark. I think maybe, I don't know. Are, uh, next, next they, hypothetical. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. So if, if, if you see France as a team that could beat Denmark or France a team that could beat Spain, if Spain get to the final, they win it. It is the perfect. Uh, send off the, they have, if they beat Denmark, they're, they'll just do what they, they did in the, in the Euros. And, and that is just continue winning close games and squeaking games and relying on Alex Dushbaev to score an underhanded shot in the last two minutes to win them that, that game. And Gonzalo Perez de Vargas not being great for a game and then coming up with five saves in the last 10 minutes. All of these things, if they beat Denmark, those things will happen in the final against France and probably against Egypt. Even though France did beat Spain in the group stage uh, quite comfortably, 36-31. And they did beat them in that was the bronze medal game at the World Championship. That is true. But it's a final. It's a final. I, I see what you mean. If Spain beat Denmark to qualify for the final, you may as well put that they've deserved the gold medal for beating Sweden in the quarterfinal and beating Denmark in the semi-final, like they'll have done. Maybe that's the thing that pushes them over the edge, and they're like they're not actually able to to play anymore because of the toll <laughs> that has taken on them. But they'll find a way. If you're in a final, you find a way. Your body will find a way. I'm sure that'll be the case for them. And what a story for this team, like the Spanish team that. Five years ago, were cruelly denied a spot in the Olympics in the qualification tournament and were really unhappy and devastated by that. And there was no final Olympics for Victor Tomas. Like they're playing for people like him, this generation that kept going for a couple more years. You know, they, they won Euro 2020 just so they could be in the Olympics. And they're like, that's all they could talk about after the final. It's like the Olympics this year. And then it gets pushed back by a year and they're all a year older. And a bunch of them continue playing just for that. I think it would be, if they get to the final, it's really hard to imagine anything stopping them. But I do, I do see that a bronze medal achieves almost all of that for them as well. You know, they will be happy and this the bronze medal is enough to give them this send-off and that's that's what i kind of see happening we haven't talked about this as the final could be the final or bronze medal game egypt spain i think egypt spain Spain is even more heated if it's for a bronze medal (laughs) right because it's like (laughs) yeah there's just so much on the line line. it's the end of careers and history being made for a handball nation that'll be uh that one's hard to preview in terms of technical stuff it'll like come down to pure heart blood and sweat and tears 
Yeah, and it, it also with the bronze medal games. So if we're talking about a final, it's a it's a completely different mm-hmm. mentality. In the bronze medal games, it's about who can recover from their devastating loss in the semi-final. And in one way, for if it's Spain, who go out, it, it's the classic uh, EHF final four uh, quote of if you lose a game. There's nothing that can get you out of bed in the mm. morning. You're aching. You're there's you're unable to stand up. If you win a game, you find that energy. You play and you win. That's a bit more dramatic for for Spain since they're all in their mid thirties. Yeah. Um, that pain getting up and for Egypt, yeah, it's it's like this new team versus the old yeah. boys. Tough one. I I can't. I don't know how they'll even match up, really. I can see it going in a Egypt versus Germany type mm. of way, where Egypt just take control and win. Maybe that's that's more likely. So if Egypt-Spain meet in the final, we might see a gold medal for Egypt. There you go. I'm going to ask you for predictions at the end. We're going to go to the women first. Women's quarterfinals, we had them today. And two games really stood out for me in the end. That was Norway, Hungary, and France, Netherlands. Russian Olympic Committee beat Montenegro in a, in a kind of a game that I think most people would expect it to be. You know, in the end, it was, it was fairly close uh, for the most part. Montenegro were never going to give up without a, a proper fight. But the, the Russians were always going to be the favorites here and barring a bit of a, a disaster for them that uh, they were always going to make it through. Anna Vekareva really stepping up in this tournament now. Eight goals from her in that one. They're through to the semifinals. But the, the game of the round had to be the Norway-Hungary game where Hungary, maybe, did they come out of nowhere to surprise Norway? Did Were you expecting um, such a tough game? Well, Hungary kind of came out of no, nowhere in this whole tournament. You know, after three games, they had lost all three of them and looked to be basically out of the tournament, then beat Spain, setting up a chance for them to actually qualify uh, on a head-to-head record if they managed to beat Sweden, which they did. Uh, Sweden didn't have much to play for in that game, but uh, it was Hungary who made it through. And yeah, I mean, for this Hungary team, they've... They have enough quality in every area of the court to give everyone some kind of trouble. And that's what they managed to do today. Um, from, you know, they started really brightly. So Hungary were the better team at the very beginning of the game. Uh, they were taking their chances in every part of the court. You know, the, the quality players like Sandra, Shalashi, Zaksik, uh, who, uh, in the, in the end had a bit of an up and down game. She was five from 12, but she's like their big shooter. And besides that, then there's quality throughout the court and they all, they all contributed early on. And, uh, yeah, they put Norway under serious pressure, mostly, uh, with the defense. So I think there were too many turnovers for Norway's liking. You know, in the end, it was a very low-scoring game. And, uh, you know, in the second half, they kind of went through uh, route one, so to speak. They they beat them with a counterattack, with good defense, with eventually some uh, good goalkeeping as well. Katrina Lunda coming in, making five saves from eight shots in the second half and uh, beat them on the break. Carrie uh, Bratzadale ended up with seven goals. And, uh, and uh, yeah, it was not a amazing performance by any means. 
but I think that's what we've seen a lot in these quarterfinals with the the teams we expect to go all the way. They were just about comfortable enough in the end without giving too much away. Yeah, I think, um, again, it was Katrina Lund doing her thing. And uh, she made five from eight in the game. But in that crucial last 10-minute period, she actually made five from six saves. So she can see the first two, but she just turned it up. And that allowed Norway to get those fast breaks. So Katrina Lund, age 41, still going so, so strong. But Norway, we... we that is the only weakness we can identify with Norway at any time. And that is their tendency to turn over the ball a little bit, little bit. And a defense can really take advantage of that. So are we going to see... Wait, hold on. I, I'm, I'm getting I'm going straight to the final <laughs> You're getting again. getting out of yourself. <laughs> are we going to see France defense do that? No, hold on. Before then, the Sweden-Korea game, nothing really stood out there high-paced korea were good in this tournament but not as good as i hoped them to be it's very comfortable for sweden but france netherlands that was was that a bit of a shock for you as well just how comfortable france were yes it was an absolutely disastrous start for the netherlands in that game uh first of all lois abing going one from four in the first five minutes and then getting injured so Lois having their instrumental player getting injured after five minutes, it eventually became clear that she wasn't going to be coming back onto court. And it was a huge uphill battle there for the Netherlands. And to be fair to them, they tried everything. Emmanuel Maynard, the Dutch coach, was you know, trying to stem the tide. Like he took two timeouts in the first 10 minutes. <laughs> like he, he was like, I took one and he was like, no, you this is not like you know what to do and then it, it continued to get worse took another one but then you know by the 15 minute mark it was 14-4 to France and we talked about Katrina Lunda Amandine Lenault for France was exceptional I think it was just over 50% save she got 21 saves in the game 22 she made a 22 that yes. is just sickening it's ridiculous but it was her in combination it was her in combination with the defense the defense was back to like the 2016 to 2018 era defense the one that got them those titles and got them to the olympic final they worked so so well uh beatrice edvige uh working miracles in the defense wasn't like it was kind of one of those performances where you didn't notice her that much because the Dutch just didn't they didn't allow them to go down the middle. They forced them out wide all the time, forced them to go long, and basically made them as uncomfortable as possible. And yeah, there was a couple of times where it looked like the Dutch might have been coming back into the game. They, they narrowed the gap to five goals on a couple of occasions in each half, but the French just had answers each time. And while it was all about the backcourt and fast breaks in the first half, it was all about Pauletta Foppa in the second half. They looked really good for the first time in this tournament, France actually showing up. And uh, it shouldn't surprise us that it's happening in the knockout stages. So it's a semi-final, which we predicted before the tournament, um, maybe except for Sweden. But the three most impressive teams, I would say, are France, Norway and Russia. 
so far. So we mm. in the first semifinal we have France versus Sweden, and then it's Norway versus Russia, which is very tasty. Um, which one do you want to go into? Yeah, I think it's nice that you know we're not completely wrong about something for once, <laughs> right? <laughs> that what's supposed to happen, like in our minds, as you know, uh, pundits, or whatever, is actually happening. So uh, I really like the the two pairings. France and Sweden always deliver fascinating games, and they, uh, I mean, the, the Swedish team first of all are like completely different to the Swedish team we've seen in recent years. Uh, Yamina Roberts is having like a second coming as a player. She's been amazing in this whole tournament. Karen Stromberg, we spoke about before. The goalkeepers Johanna Bunsen and Jessica Rida are really good, and you know they. They were surprisingly dominant against the Koreans today, and it's it, they're just so functional. And uh, it's going to be an interesting clash of styles between this strong and functional Swedish team and an incredibly strong defense, and then you know sometimes unpredictable French attack. Absolutely. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> and they did play in the. Group stage, uh, Sweden and France, they played out a draw, which is kind of a traditional Sweden France result, isn't it? Um, they play a lot of games and, uh, uh, that was the one that came down to the very last second and Grassadi missed a penalty. So it, it is a tough one to call, but I think with the way that France played today, they were, they're just so aggressive that again, it's that defense and it's such a team effort. I think they've gone away a little bit and I wouldn't say they've always been like that, but um, their reliance on the big players like Ansiminko, Grassadi and uh, Pinot in the past isn't there. It, it It's a very spread attack. It's an incredible defense. And I think one game changer for them is uh, Fapa on the line. She's really grown into her role as that starting line player. I think in that first game against Sweden, she was actually the one that France went to in those crunch time minutes and she earned that penalty for Grassadi that she missed. Um, there's a lot of confidence and she's very good in defence. So again, I'm going all the way ahead to a Norway-France final <laughs> in my mind, uh, which is in no way guaranteed. I don't think it's uh, clear no. at all. But let's say compared to that last uh, European Championship final, the difference is Foppa growing as a player in a very short time. The only thing that worries me about Foppa is that she did disappear in the Final Four this past May, where she was expected to have a big weekend and just wasn't there for them in the end. So hopefully that doesn't happen to her again. And on the other side, then Sweden's one of their biggest strengths is their line player position. And the Dutch were not able to find the line player at all because of the French defense. If they can find a way to bring Lynn Blum and Anna Lagerqvist into the game, then they have a good chance. Uh, and again, the goalkeeper battled Sweden looking very consistently good with both goalkeepers. But if Amadine Lenoir can perform like that again, then it's, uh, it's France's to win. And then the other game is. That's another classic, Norway versus Russia. Russia started off slow in this tournament, but have 
kind of turned it on uh, as it as it went on mm. again. You know, they they did play Montenegro in the quarterfinals, which they would be expected to win. Do they convince it? They beat France. Russia beat France um, in the preliminary round. They have a fully healthy team. They have a coach screaming at them from the stands. Is that enough motivation to beat Norway? The Evgeny Trefilov effect. Imagine if they do turn this around and <laughs> win the gold. <laughs> Absolutely from uh, unbelievable. They do have a very good team. I'm slightly concerned that in a semi-final like this, the chances of your starting team all performing perfectly is low and you, that's when you need the depth you need the fourth and fifth backcourt player to really step up or the second goalkeeper and that's where i think there's a bit of concern for the the russian team like it's hard to imagine that if well you know Dari dimitreva and anavia kareva need to have huge games if one of them doesn't will bobrovnikova for example be able to outwit the Norwegian team and outwit Katrina Lunda. I think they've seen it all before this Norwegian team and they've had enough Olympic heartbreak from five years ago. Nora Merck, we, we heard on the podcast about just how much it like really broke her soul and how much like this is about uh, the Olympics. This whole year was about the Olympics for her. I think the Norwegians will have just a bit too much for them and they have the, the depth, I think, uh, particularly in the backcourt, to overpower them. I, th- I think Russia do still have depth. Um, we saw them sho- showcase that depth in the European Championship, yeah. where they had to rely, re- uh, rely on Bobrovnikova and Skorobagachenko and Vidikina, and they did stand up to the challenge. So they do... To a, to a certain extent. I mean, they finished fifth. To a certain Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but they were better than their fifth yeah. position. True, true. <laughs> Yeah. Um, for me, their defense is not the type of defense that can take advantage of um, Norway's style of play. Um, as we mentioned, they, Russia's defense is a bit more classic. They do stand back, and Norway do have uh, Henny Reistad and Breistel to actually just shoot over that Russian defense if they do stay a bit more passive. So I do, I do see a Norwegian victory as well. Setting up a final between France and Norway. What do you think? Based on December, right? And the, you know, France were still in that game until the very end because they completely caught Norway unawares with that 5-1 defense. And Estelle Enziminko playing out of her skin and Cleopatra Delo playing out of her skin. Surely Norway have practiced <laughs> playing against the 5-1 defense in that time. <laughs> and if they haven't, then France deserve victory. If if I were if I were the, if if I were Olivier Krumholtz, I would start the game 5-1 just to like say, okay, what have you learned? <laughs> but yeah, and and since then, I mean, we've talked about like the uh, the French defense that can by itself, uh, in combination with Leonardo for talking about her in the defense as well, that 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 wins games for them at this level. Uh, if it's going back to the the level they have from a couple of years ago, that can win a game for them alone. But it's really hard to imagine every single one of those 
Norwegian players and Bratzett on the line being shut down by that defense, which is what happened to the Dutch today. So although I can see the French team doing it against Sweden, I'm not sure they could do that against Norway. This is Norway's title to win. So predictions, both sides. Let's go gold, uh, silver and bronze, as well as MVP. I know there's no MVP, but um, your MVP. People's MVP. You go first. (laughs) Okay, I'll start with the men's side. I do, I just believe in this Egypt team. I believe that they can get a silver medal. (laughs) 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 But nothing is going to stop Denmark. Uh, So I'm going with Denmark gold, Egypt silver, and a bronze for that Spanish golden generation, um, which they'll be happy with. And my MVP, it's just, it just has to be Gissel. He's just incredible. He's a, he's, he's almost averaging a quint double in, in this tournament. It's incredible. Yeah. He's incredibly efficient. He's almost unstoppable. And uh, I don't think anyone is, well, he's unstoppable within that Danish team. Let's say he is the MVP of the Olympics for me so far and will be at the end. Women's side. It's a, that's a tougher one for me because something inside me says we're not going to see a repeat of Norway, France. Just something says that, even though I think they're the two best teams. So Norway, Sweden, Russia. Oh, MVP. MVP. That's a tough one. Henny Reistad. Go on. I'm going full new generation. We have new <laughs> stars in the world of handball. And you rise that MVP. Okay. Okay. I have to go for gold for Denmark. Gold for Denmark. Silver. France. Egypt. Bronze. MVP. Matthias Gitzel. There's, I think there's no arguing with that. And on the women's side, no way for gold. France, silver, Sweden, bronze, MVP, Stina Oftedal. Very good. Very good. We'll find out on Saturday and Sunday. Find out when Denmark get knocked out in the semi-final. All of this is absolutely useless. (laughs) That's that's why we've done the previews of the finals of all the different kinds on the men's side, just in case. What else, Olympics-wise, on the final weekend are you going to watch? I don't know what's left. I, I've watched a lot. <laughs> I've it. even watched weightlifting, Chris. Yeah, I did I today you, as well. Need to get on that. <laughs> <laughs> I did as well today for the first time. An amazing Georgian track and field. The yeah. the basketball will be interesting. I'll make sure to get the probably the semifinals and the finals of the water polo in, and yeah, I'll try to tune in into the a bit of the climbing. Ah, uh, yeah. Are you uh, a fan of climbing? Yeah or nay? I'm a fan of speed climbing. So I'll watch the first, I'll watch one speed climbing one. And then it was, I'll just leave it there because it's basically the same thing over and over again. But I will, I will watch a bit. (laughs) So you'll watch the speed climbing and then you won't know who wins it because it's all, it's like a triathlon. (laughs) Okay. Thank you, Alex. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll talk to you after the Olympics. Enjoy the final weekend. Goodbye. Goodbye.